1: to season six episode 48 of they walk among us a podcast dedicated to uk true crime please listen to season six episode 47 for part one of this two-part case This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network.
2: hitmen were paid £1,000 each to kill a businessman on Shirley Road in Cardiff. But high on heroin, they went to the wrong street, Ninian Road. There, they chose the wrong house. In balaclavas, they went to the Siddiqui's home. Amir answered the door, thinking it was his Quran teacher. As Amir answered the door, the two hitmen barged in and started stabbing him. Amir's father,
1: who's now 70, rushed towards the shorter of the two men, driving his head into his chest, but he too was then stabbed. Amir's mother then jumped on the back of the other man who was leaning over, stabbing her son. But she was then stabbed. In a shocking case of mistaken identity, 17-year-old Amir Siddiqui's life was savagely brought to an end when he was stabbed to death. The two men accused of the killing stood in the dock, blaming each other for the crime. The person who allegedly ordered the botched murder had fled the country, however, he was captured by the Indian authorities and was awaiting extradition. Agonizingly protracted legal proceedings prolonged the family's torment when several times the trial collapsed leaving Amir's loved ones wondering if they would ever get justice. The new trial finally began in September 2012 at Swansea Crown Court. Much of the initial testimony was repeated from previous legal proceedings. The prosecutor told the jury about the evidence found, including the blood-stained drunk punk branded top inside the footlocker bag, CCTV footage and the stolen Volvo marked with the defendant's fingerprints and Amir's blood. Text messages were read to the jury. Jason Richards had contacted Ben Hope the day after the murder, saying, Sorry bro, but the play's now. Make sure you're going to have to come. The prosecutor Patrick Harrington QC explained that the authorities believe this communication referenced the disposal of evidence tying the defendants to the crime. The intended target, Mohammed Tanhai, testified again about his interactions with Mohammed Ali Edge. Tanhai said that Edge had made regular payments of £5,000 in £20 notes over the period of 18 months as a deposit for the purchase of a property. Tanhai eventually asked Edge to go through a solicitor, but Edge refused and demanded that the money be returned. Ben Hope's barrister, John Charles Rees QC, asked the witness, Did you know that he was using you, effectively, to launder stolen money? Mohammed Tanhai admitted this was true and spoke of the intimidation that led to an assault in front of his family at their home in 2009. The South Wales Police had placed the family in a safe house for six weeks prior to the attack, but when the Tanhai's returned to their home, the police sent them a letter warning the family that they could not guarantee Mohammed Tanhai's safety. Testimony was provided regarding the interaction between Mohammed Ali Edge and the accused. It was alleged that Edge had taken his children to the park, where he met with one of the accused a day before the murder. On the day of the killing, there had been numerous instances of communication between Jason Richards and Mohammed Ali Edge. Just before 11am, Richards sent Edge a text message asking him to phone him ASAP. Edge called 20 minutes later and the conversation lasted around 1 minute and 20 seconds. CCTV footage showed Richards and Ben Hope leaving Richards' home at around 11.30am. Hope was wearing a jacket with a stripe on the arm, like witnesses had described when they saw someone running from the crime scene a couple of hours later. After going to a convenience store where they had bought tape and gloves, Jason Richards and Ben Hope arrived back at Richards' home on North Road at Ten minutes later, the Volvo they had stolen was seen driving past the back of the property along Ninian Road, where the prosecution alleged a recce of the area took place. After arriving back at the house... Edge spoke with Richards on the phone again before the Volvo was witnessed leaving the area just after 1.30pm, travelling to Ninian Road. The attack took place at around 1.40pm and the Volvo was parked across from Jason Richards' home minutes later. Two people were captured on CCTV running from the car into the property. Muhammad Ali Edge made a call to Jason Richards just before 2pm. Immediately after this, the Volvo was moved. Further calls from Richards to Edge went unanswered. Jason Richards testified in his own defence. The evidence to prosecute him included his fingerprints that had been found in the stolen Volvo, and an item of his clothing was discovered in a footlocker bag behind his home, which was stained with Amir Siddiqui's blood. Richards was asked by his barrister if he had killed Amir, or if he was one of the men that attacked Amir's parents. Richards denied any involvement in the crimes, but he did say that he witnessed Ben Hope minutes after the murder with blood on his clothing. Richards claimed that he had collected the stolen Volvo from Muhammad Ali Edge and kept it near his home from April 4, 2010. The defendant alleged that Edge had asked him to let someone stay at his home from April 9. It was supposedly this unidentified man and Ben Hope who committed the murder. CCTV footage pictured an unknown man coming to Jason Richards' home at 11pm on April 9th. Richards said that he never learned the man's name or knew anything about him, other than he was from Sheffield. Richards claimed that to him, April 11th, 2010 was a typical Sunday. He spent the day bagging up little £10 sachets of drugs while watching television. Just minutes after the 999 calls were received in relation to the stabbing, CCTV footage pictured the Volvo arriving on the street where Richards lived. Richards claimed that Hope and this mystery man had arrived at his house and he bumped into Hope in the hallway and saw blood on the front of his clothes. Richards said the man left and he never saw him again. He gave Hope a change of clothes and a bin bag. Richards believed that Ben Hope or the accomplice must have worn one of his tops, or it must have been in the Volvo after they committed the crime as he was not involved. Richards told the court that he asked Hope what was going on, but Hope would not tell him. Richards supposedly began to panic. He described how he felt like he was being abused because he had let someone he did not know stay in his home. Richards blamed himself for being a fool, testifying, If I'd known what I know now, it would never have happened around me. Jason Richards admitted to taking drugs earlier that day with Ben Hope and buying gloves and tape in a TNA convenience store just before the attack. It was footage from a CCTV camera in this store that led the police to Hope and Richards. Richards claimed that the gloves and tape were to be used for bagging up drugs and preventing his fingerprints from being on the backs. Richards denied being desperate for money, which is why it was alleged he carried out the attack, argued he didn't need it. Instead arguing, he ran a cash-in-hand car repair business and was registered for disability benefits. He was also waiting for compensation from a motorbike crash. When asked about the bloodstained top that was found with his DNA and the murder victim's blood, Richards replied, There is no way Amir Siddiqui's blood could be on one of my pieces of clothing. Richards adamantly denied any part in the murders, telling the court, I have waited three years to get here and I need to say my piece. At the end of the day, I never killed their son. I did not kill their son. Ben Hope also took the stand in his own defence. He testified that Jason Richards' account was not true in the slightest. The pair had been at Cardiff's community addiction unit together the day after the murder. Hope claimed Richards said he, quote, might have killed someone, or words to that effect. Hope described Richards as a fantasist who lived in his own world so Hope did not take the claim seriously. Hope pushed the comment to one side, evidently not informing the police about what his friend told him until they were arrested. Hope said that he had taken heroin that day and was in a stupor, highlighting that the CCTV footage proved his point as it pictured him on North Road an hour after the murder. Hope told the court, I am walking all over the place because of the drugs I had taken. As for the blood that was smeared down his clothes, this was due to Hope falling asleep after injecting himself with heroin. He said he had to borrow some clothing from Jason Richards. When asked about his involvement in the attack, Ben Hope denied he played any part. the closing arguments for the defence began with Jason Richards' counsel, John Charles Rees QC, telling the jury that there must have been a third man involved. The barrister said that his client's phone had pinged at his home on North Road at the time of the attack, which indicated Richards was being truthful when he said he had stayed at home. Rees told the court that the evidence against Hope was absolutely overwhelming. The story about Ben Hope getting blood on his clothes from injecting heroin was, according to the barrister, absurd. Rees said the clothing was bloodstained when he stabbed Amir Siddiqui in the back a number of times. John Charles Rees QC pointed out inconsistencies in Ben Hope's account of Jason Richard's supposed confession telling the jury that Hope at first claimed that the admission had been provided on the night of the murder, before Hope had changed his story twice, now stating that the conversation had taken place the following day at the Community Addictions Unit. The arguments from each defendant were that the other was responsible, along with a second unknown man, something the prosecutor labelled as nonsense. Patrick Harrington QC remarked that the combination of CCTV footage, forensic eyewitness and phone evidence was compelling, proving Ben Hope and Jason Richards were guilty. (laughs) Presiding. 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 Presiding judge Mr Justice Royce asked the jury to put their emotions to one side. ...while they deliberated on the facts of the case. He told them... ...each defendant says the other defendant carried out the killing with another man. It is for you to decide whether these two defendants were there... ...or only one. If only one... ...which one. After a trial which lasted over four months... The jury returned on February 1st with their verdicts. Ben Hope and Jason Richards were both found guilty of murder and attempted murder. Following the verdict, Amir Siddiqui's family delivered a statement outside the court...
0: Today's guilty verdict is the right one, and as a family, we're both delighted and relieved. We would like to thank South Wales Police and the Crown Prosecution Service for their tireless efforts in this case. A special thanks goes to the wonderful ladies of um, victim support, who have volunteered hours of emotional as well as practical support, often in very difficult circumstances. We would also like to thank the wider community in Cardiff for the wonderful tributes paid to Amir. We will always appreciate the love and the support of our family and friends for being there throughout this time. We thank those strangers who in the immediate aftermath of the murder showed bravery and courage in their attempts to help Amir and my parents. Though we may never meet you, we will forever be grateful. We are pleased today that justice has finally been done and we can finally start to deal with the reality of losing our
1: Sentencing was adjourned for a week and on February 8th, Mr Justice Royce listed the aggravating features in the case. They included the murder of a child in front of their parents the defendant's criminal history which included prior convictions for violent crimes, and the fact that there had been significant premeditation involved in the planning and committal of the crime. The judge told Ben Hope and Jason Richards, Emir Siddiqui was the youngest child and only son of Sheikh Iqbal and Parveen Ahmed. He was a bright, gentle and courteous boy who was much loved by his family. He had secured a place to study law at Cardiff, and his future was brimming with promise. He was awaiting the arrival of his Quran teacher when he rushed past his parents to open the door. You two came in, wearing balaclavas and making a terrible wailing sound. Your attack on him was brutal, savage, callous and cruel. You hacked him to death in front of his parents who fought in vain to save Amir. It was simply good fortune that they were not killed. It was your intention that they should die too. The aggravating features of this case mean the starting point should significantly increase. The judge went on to tell Hope and Richards, If you die in jail, few will shed a tear and many will say it will be more than deserved. Ben Hope and Jason Richards were sentenced to life, with a minimum term of 40 years each for Amir Siddiqui's murder and 15 years to run concurrently for the attempted murder of Amir's parents. In a joint statement offered to the public, Amir's sisters said, On the 11th of April 2010, a house which was previously filled with love and laughter was brutally destroyed by the callous, vicious attack on our parents and our brother. Within seconds, our lives changed forever. Amir was a beautiful person with a bright future. Amir's parents felt they had no other choice but to sell the home where they had raised their children, now always living in fear as a result of the attack. Amir's father said, Since these verdicts, we feel that justice has been done. We do not want revenge or to feel bad towards anybody, but when someone has done something so bad, they should be punished.
3: It's a highly emotional uh, time for us. We have waited for three years for justice to be done to our dearest son, Amir. a Very bright and promising young man. And in fact, we, as far as I'm concerned and my wife is concerned, over all the future planning was really, went around him. I think he was the center of our family. My father and I, when he, even when he was alive, um, I used to say that, he wasn't the, from made from the same mold as you and I. He was very different. There was something very unique about him. Um, there have been ups and downs, and uh, today's verdict has given us uh, the satisfaction and relief.
0: We can't get back Amir, but at least the community will be safe. The other other children will be safe.
1: What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families, and EcoVadis is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. Ben Hope and Jason Richards filed an appeal in January 2014 against both their convictions and sentences. A hearing was held at the Court of Appeal in June of that year. Richards alleged that his conviction was unsafe because it was based on Hope's testimony in which Richards had supposedly made a confession. Richards insisted that the unidentified man who had stayed with him at Muhammad Ali Edge's request had been the second attacker. Then Hope had appealed against his conviction, but abandoned the application as he had confessed to his role in the murder and said he had been with Richards. However, Hope then changed his mind a few months later and said that Jason Richards was not involved. Richards asked that a new trial be held so a jury could hear Hope's latest version of events. Hope had testified at a hearing in the spring of 2014 that someone had told him to, quote, put the frighteners on a man who was going to testify against Edge in the aggravated burglary case where he had attacked Mohammed Tanhai. Although Hope had claimed he had an accomplice that was not Richards, it was discovered that Richards and Hope had been in contact following their convictions. Hope had also confessed to his mother in a recorded call between the date the verdict was delivered and the sentencing hearing. On the call, he revealed that once Amir answered the door, Jason Richards just started going mad. Hope said, I realised we're in the wrong place, because it didn't match the description we were given. How the hell can you get the wrong address? Do you know what I mean? Hope admitted that they had not meant to kill anyone, and were just supposed to hurt them. Then Hope's mother asked him where you could stab someone without inflicting serious damage and Hope said in the stomach. Hope told his mother that he planned to appeal and she pleaded with him not to put the family through that. Hope insisted that he had not stabbed anyone. He had just been present. However, his mother said they were equally guilty. At the appeal hearing, Ben Hope stated that someone he was not prepared to name had asked him to commit the murder and that he would be involved with an accomplice. When he learned of Richard's arrest on April 14th, Hope was now claiming he used this opportunity to blame Richard's for the murder when he was arrested two days after the killing. Hope was saying he had committed the crime with this mystery accomplice who stayed with Jason Richards. Hope testified, I do not know where the other man was from but he seemed to know Cardiff very well. He was the driver of the vehicle. The drunk punk top was on the back of the seat of the car where the knives were thrown following the stabbing. This is how the blood must have been transferred to the drunk punk top. Hope was referring to the blood-stained item of clothing belonging to Jason Richards that was found near a canal behind his home. After hearing the new confession from Ben Hope, the Appeal Court judges declined to admit Hope's recent testimony into evidence. They found that Jason Richards' conviction was wholly safe. The judges concluded that Ben Hope's new admission was nonsensical and untrue. They believed Hope could not provide a coherent account of his whereabouts, considering his actions were captured on CCTV. The judges also found that the sentences were fair in light of the aggravating factors of the case and the fact there were no mitigating features. His parents and sisters continued to suffer from nightmares, and the feeling of fear in their own home was highlighted. Before dismissing the submission, the appeal judges remarked, In our judgment, the length of the minimum term rightly reflected the entire criminality of the appellant's conduct. This was an appalling series of crimes for which the minimum term of 40 years was just punishment. Reflecting not only on the premeditated and brutal nature of the murder and attempted murders, but also a deterrent element in respect of contract killings which have no place in any civilised society. Lord Chief Justice Lord Thomas emphasised that Amir's parents had made valiant and desperate attempts to protect their son, but they were also viciously attacked and stabbed. The Lord Chief Justice said the evidence proved beyond a reasonable doubt that Ben Hope and Jason Richards had been engaged by a local drug dealer to kill a person who lived on an adjoining street to Amir Siddiqui. Their actions were labelled a grotesque mistake when they had gone to the wrong house. Once the appeals were dismissed, Amir Siddiqui's sister Miriam spoke on behalf of the family. Describing how the news had not sunk in and now they would have time to grieve, she said, It has been humbling, truly humbling to see the compassion that people have shown us. There may be too many to thank individually, but they know who they are. Miriam had been inspired following her brother's death and pursued a law degree in the aftermath of his murder. She told a reporter for South Wales Echo, Sometimes I would go straight from court to my lectures. When I think of Amir, I can see his smile, feel him giving me a hug, saying something as he always did to make me laugh. I want to do things to make him proud of me. While both the trial and appeals were now over, and the two people directly responsible for Amir Siddiqui's death were behind bars, in April 2017... It was announced that Mohammed Ali Edge, who had been held in India since his arrest in 2011, had escaped custody. In the days following Amir's murder, Edge had boarded a ferry to France, wearing a wig as a disguise. From France he travelled to Spain, then Morocco, and took flights to Senegal, Bahrain, Nepal and finally India. He had obtained an Indian identification number under the name Abdul Malik and an age certificate from a hospital under the name Abdul Jabbar. He also had voter cards registered under the same names and also Mohammed Abdul Kareem. After being arrested, Edge was held in Police Central Jail in Hyderabad, It was to await extradition to face the conspiracy to commit murder charges in the UK. Indian Police Commander Mahendra Kumar Raftat spoke to the media about Edge's escape, saying, After the court proceedings, the accused was being brought back to Hyderabad by a train. The escort team reached the Hazarat-Nizamuddin railway station to board a train to Hyderabad, were waiting at the government railway police room. The accused requested the police to allow him to go to the washroom and he escaped there by removing the window grills of the washroom. The South Wales Police Force released new images of Mohammed Ali Edge in the weeks after his escape with DCI Kerry Hughes from the constabulary offering a statement. The officer said, this is devastating for Amir's family, who have waited so patiently for the past seven years for justice, but they remain resilient and continue to receive our full support. We believe that somebody in this country knows something about Mohammed Edge's whereabouts and urge such people to contact us using the anonymous Crime Stoppers number if they prefer. Two years would pass, and Edge had still not been located. The South Wales police believed he was being financially supported by people in Cardiff, as the confiscated fraudulent identification documents would have cost a substantial amount of money to produce. As he was on the run for so long, Edge would have needed more. Mohammed Ali Edge is Wales's most wanted man. This week marks nine years since the tragic murder of Amir Siddiqui. Two years ago, Edge escaped custody in India and has been on the run since that time. If you have any information that will help us locate
2: Edge and bring him back to the UK to face justice, then I urge you to contact us.
1: Amir Siddiqui's parents appealed for the public's help in bringing the man who ordered the killing to justice. They said, it is the ninth anniversary of the murder of our beloved son Amir. He was our loving, funny, intelligent and generous child who was about to embark on the next phase of his life at university. His friends have become wonderful adults. They have travelled, have jobs and some are married. Our son was deprived of these things and we mourn his loss every day. We will never forget how so many people in Cardiff and beyond were touched by Amir's death. People helped us with their practical and emotional support, and for this we are very grateful. We urge anyone who has any information that could help the police with their inquiries to please get in touch. Your call might help bring an end to the very long ordeal for our family and potentially help to prevent this kind of tragedy happening again. Later in 2019, one of the detectives who had worked on the murder case was fired, after it emerged that she had lied about her relationship with a juror involved in a murder trial. DC Rebecca Bright neglected to tell the court that one of the jurors on a three person murder trial was her son's girlfriend, which resulted in the convictions being quashed. The three defendants were convicted again at a retrial, but it called into question the ethics within the South Wales Police Force and potentially hampered the investigation to find Mohammed Ali Edge. On the tenth anniversary of Amir Siddiqui's murder, his sister Miriam spoke with a reporter for the Echo. Miriam had been staying at the family home with her husband before the attack. They had left only moments before Hope and Richards arrived at the door. Miriam said, It was a beautiful day. It was sunny outside and I was so happy. I can clearly remember being in a really happy mood. Amir had been studying all morning. We are a really close family and my dad just had a knee operation so we spent a bit of time in my parents' bedroom having some time with them. It was just a typical average Sunday morning. We were all in a good mood, laughing and joking. I was teasing Amir about making me cups of tea. I can remember him coming and putting his arm around me and saying, you don't need to have children when you have me. He was like a son to me. A lot of my life decisions were based around Amir. We had a unique relationship. Miriam explained that shortly after she left the house, her mother called her and told her the blood was everywhere. Calling how she could not fathom what was happening. Miriam said, My mind and body wouldn't believe that it was Amir. I just decided that it was my dad that my mum was talking about because he was older. I'd shut out the idea that it could be Amir. It was like a movie scene. They had cordoned off the street and I was pleading with an officer to let me through. My mum told me he had died, he was gone that they had been stabbed. I was hysterical and just wanted to be with them. I couldn't get through, so went straight to the hospital. Trauma does strange things to your mind. I can remember everything clearly up to the hospital. Then when they confirmed that Amir had died, I lost it. I can only remember those bits in flashbacks. Describing how proud she was of the way Cardiff mourned for her brother, Miriam recalled the stories people told the family about Amir after his death. One woman wrote to them and revealed that she used to see Amir at Roth Park when he was playing football. Amir would always chat with her as she sat on a bench. She said she was lonely and her chats with Amir had meant a lot. Miriam told the paper. We lost someone so great that day, but in his short life he gave so much. His friends have been amazing. His best friend's family have been friends for years. Sometimes it's hard to watch the milestones. They can be bittersweet. We have been to weddings and they have been amazing, but we have also thought it could have been a myth. Grief is now my friend. I have somehow made it the new normal. So where are we now? In April 2020, Mohammed Ali Edge was placed on Europol's Most Wanted list. An appeal for information regarding his whereabouts reads that Edge is believed to travel extensively using false documentation and may have changed his appearance. The names he was known to use include Ahmed Ares, Ahmed Ali, Khalid Ali, Muhammad Ali, Tariq Muhammad Ali, Ali Muhammad, and Tariq Ali Muhammad. CCI Stuart Wales, who worked on the murder investigation, offered a statement to the media. The officer hopes someone had more information about the whereabouts of the man who allegedly ordered the killing. Quote, Nearly 12 years may have passed, but until Mohammed Ali Edge is located and brought back to the UK, this remains a live and priority investigation for South Wales Police.
2: Our determination to resolve this has has never diminished until Mr Mo Ali Edge is located and brought back to the United Kingdom. This matter won't go away, cannot be resolved and that's both for ourselves, but more importantly for his family. There's a a huge chapter in their lives that that needs to be resolved and Mr Edge being repatriated to the UK. My appeal would be to anybody that has any information regarding the uh, whereabouts of Mr Mo Ali Edge to contact South Wales Police um, and provide us with our information. Um, I, we're quite conscious that over a period of ten years relationships, uh, alliances uh, would have changed and it may be now people are prepared to uh, provide information they haven't done previously. Um, but in addition to that public appeal, uh, I would appeal directly to Mr. Moaliage. Edge. Um, there's nothing prohibiting him from contacting us or returning to the UK. Um, it can't be particularly easy for him having to live his life looking over his shoulder constantly, which I'm sure he is. Um, this can be resolved, um, but that power is within his gift to come back to the UK and assist us in concluding this matter, not just for himself.
1: In early 2022, a £5,000 reward was offered by the charity Crime Stoppers for information that would lead to the capture of Muhammad Ali Edge, Anyone with information is asked to come forward to help bring an end to the prolonged search for the man it was believed had ordered the killing and provide some semblance of justice to Amir's family. Amir's sister Miriam spoke about Edge, believing that he is likely a powerful man who is being financially supported while he is on the run.
3: When we found out he was in India, there was, uh, we were so relieved at that moment. We were celebrating as a family because we thought, actually, you know, this is the final chapter. I think he's been to a few countries after he escaped India. However, the latest that we've heard is that he may be in Dubai. We don't know where he's been. We know that he's used different names. He's had different passports over the years. So I know that he hasn't stayed in one place for very long. We need to close this chapter. So we can have just memories of armor.
1: Miriam said that she had received information that suggested Muhammad Ali Edge had traveled to North Africa. Sri Lanka and Dubai since his escape from Indian custody. He was not staying in one place for long. Detectives believe that he was hiding out in his birthplace of Dubai up until 2021. explaining how her parents were suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder after losing their only son. Miriam spoke about the loss of her brother and said, I don't think I'll ever be able to stop grieving, because I don't think I'll ever stop loving Amir. Thank you for listening and a special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode please see the show notes or visit our website theywalkamonguspodcast.com